Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 70, Sharon Anderson running for City Councilor in Ward 1, recorded on September 8, 2018. Sharon Anderson, you're running for City Councilor in Ward 1. Welcome to the Public Records, the 155 Podcast. Thank you for having me, Joey. So firstly, tell us, who is Sharon Anderson? So I'm 34 years old, and I live on Emerson Street in Ainsley Wood, and I was actually born into the ward at McMaster Hospital, and I attended in my time, it was called George R. Allen um, Elementary School, followed by Dalewood, Westdale, and McMaster University. I, from Mac, went off and did six years as a consulting engineer in Godrich, Ontario, and then returned to Hamilton in, I think, about 2014 to go to U of T for a graduate studies program in a master's of engineering, cities engineering and management. And then for the past two years, I've actually been working in a neighboring municipality. It's my first time running for office. I am a civil engineer by background and training, and I like problem solving, infrastructure, and organizing things. Why are you running? So with one week left until the nominations were due in, our current councillor dropped out of the running, and it looked like we were actually going to have an acclaimed board race where we only had one candidate, and therefore that candidate won by default. So in my opinion, democracies kind of need to actually have the vote occur. I think there's two main reasons for that. The, the voters kind of get a sense that their vote doesn't count if they don't get to cast it. And you kind of risk lower participation in the next election. And I think it just discourages involvement during that current council term. And the other reason is I think as the acclaimed councillor, there's very little credibility for that councillor and there's no buy-in um, for support and decisions. I looked at that situation and said, well, I have the power to try and run for this. So I went out to seek my nomination papers and submitted them. Do you live in Ward 1, yes or no? Yes. Does it matter if one lives in the community one seeks to represent? I think it helps. For two main reasons. First, you sort of have to live with your own decisions, good or bad, get to experience them firsthand. And I also think you get instant feedback from your neighbors, friends, and family in the ward. So mine are very vocal. I think that helps. You know pretty quickly if you've done something wrong or stupid in their eyes. And I think you would still get that feedback if you lived outside the ward from your constituents, but I don't think the immediacy would necessarily be there. One of my goals, if I did get elected to council, would try and avoid doing anything that was too stupid. And if I did do something stupid to try and fix it as well and as rapidly as possible without making things worse. And I think that immediate feedback helps with that. How have you contributed to your community and our city? So I've participated in elections since I was basically legal age to vote all levels. And I try and attend feedback sessions when possible and things that are going to impact the community and the wards. So things like the LRT proposed developments and the participatory budget exercise. I pay rent, which basically evolves into paying taxes, and I try and be a good neighbor, so shovel the sidewalks and keep the yard tidy. What are your two priorities for Ward 1 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? My priorities for Ward 1 are, first off, communication. So I think a big issue in our ward is we have sort of different groups that don't necessarily have the opportunity on a regular basis to talk to each other, and I think that leads to some misunderstandings. And the other one is affordable housing, and I don't just mean, in this case, affordable housing for Renters, I also mean it for people that own their homes. Um, I think taxes in Hamilton are amongst the highest municipal taxes in Ontario. And if we can get those taxes lower, I think it, it makes the housing more affordable for everybody. And then for the city, my two priorities are complete streets, including the Vision Zero 
initiative and getting that implemented. I know we have some policy documentation already written around it, but actually getting it exercised into projects that the community actually sees and experiences, I think is important. And also infrastructure affordability. So making sure that new stuff that we bring on is actually things that the city can afford to maintain or replace in the long term and stuff that we're replacing, we can actually afford to maintain. What are three skills that you will bring to elected office that make you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council? My first one is I'm quite willing and happy to ask questions, even if they might seem a little silly, and listen to the answers. My second is that I am a civil engineer with uh, years of experience working for and with municipal uh, governments, and I know how to get things done within those governments. And it leads to my third point, which is persistence, which is, I think, the way a lot of things do get done in municipal government. Hamilton zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, which is in scale with existing single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium-density, transit-connected housing in walkable communities and is important to young renters, first-time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward? I'm just going to start off with my definition of what sort of multi-unit clustered housing means to me. So I'm defining this as sort of three to five-story buildings that are better for sort of seniors that are living alone or just two of them together and single working people and students. And it's sort of in my mind kind of what European downtown cities look like a lot of the time. Um, I think you're correct in saying that it's going to have resistance. I think people dislike change and developments are a substantial form of change people's existing environments. And I think positive response to it is hard to garner whether or not they perceive that change as positive or negative. I think advance warning helps people get used to sort of new ideas and change that might be coming their way. So advising the community with as much information as possible ahead of time, I think, would help build some support in these circumstances. And I think there's problems when the benefits seem to favor one group of people and the people that feel left out don't see the positive implications for them. I think one thing that the missing middle style developments bring, which isn't always broadcasted to people is that the increase in density actually should result in lower taxes for the single family homes in the area. And that's mainly just a function of extra people paying more taxes means that we should be able to lower taxes for the others that were there previously. And I think the other issue that we have to deal with is that city hall policies, not just zoning, but I think general approval policies have a sort of built in resistance to small scale development projects. I think that needs to change before you'll see more people actually trying to do them. So where in the community, I think they're going to be probably located around existing commercial zones and then spread organically out into the community. So for Westdale, I see that more as King Street, Sterling, and Longwood Roads. Ainsley Wood, I see it as Emerson, Leland, and Whitney. And potentially in sort of the longer term, I think along the rail trail, it'd be interesting if we could get a pedestrian mall kind of going and then have commercial on either side of it. Then Kirkendale, I see Aberdeen, Dundurn, Queen, and Lock Street, and Strathcona, York, Barton, Dundurn, and Queen. And just a note for listeners, we are recording this at the Hamilton Public Library Dundas branch. This room is right beside the children's section, so every once in a while, you hear a child who's having a great time out there. They've got an excellent program running this Saturday morning. 
The noise that you've heard in the background a few times faintly is not the candidate making a childish sound. It is actually kids in the background. I appreciate the clarification, Joey. Town and gown tensions, a phrase coined by academics, are nearly as old as the universities themselves. In one of the most famous examples, a three-day riot in Oxford resulted in 62 students and nearly as many townspeople dead in 1355. The Scholastica Day riot broke out after a dispute about beer in a local tavern. Luckily, town and gown conflicts today are much tamer and involve much more substantive issues. As the Ward 1 City Councilor, you will be responsible for representing both town and gown. How will you effectively represent both and successfully mediate to create solutions which balance both interests? To start off with, I think I agree that while the consequences are maybe a bit less severe than 1355, I don't know that we've sort of deviated too much about debates about beer. I think there was a bit of uh, controversy around the Phoenix Grad Pub, which is somewhat related. But to the actual question, so I'm in kind of a, I think, unique position. There might be a couple other candidates in Ward 1 that are similar. I've actually seen this issue from three sides. So I grew up in the wards. As a kid teenager, I actually got to see, you know, the tension between students and the adults in my area. I was a Mac student, so then all of a sudden I flipped to being on that side of sort of the gown side, I guess, of the issue. And then I'm now on the town side as a non-student resident adult. It was interesting growing up because I think teenagers and other wards sort of got maybe blamed for a bit more of the graffiti and small vandalism that occurred. And in our ward, we kind of got a pass and it was sort of passed on to the actual Mac students. So it was kind of an odd experience um, shifting between those two stages. So I think I'm quite willing to try and shift my perspective to, to see the issue from the three different sides or the more typical two different sides. And I think I will be successful in being able to do that. I do think communication and education are sort of the two biggest areas that if we can improve those, it would improve interactions between the two groups. So by communication, I mean sort of fostering venues where non-confrontational interactions can occur between the two groups. I mean, small ones, not you have to invite people over for dinner, more just you're interacting with them on the street in a way that makes them seem more familiar to you. And I think the education piece is sort of around what is expected of you when you live in a community. So the biggest, I think, contention points are litter garbage, sort of noise, snow clearing, yard maintenance, parking. People basically living in the ward want to be able to look out at something that looks neat and tidy. And I don't think it's just students. I think it actually have many first-time homeowners in our ward moving in from surrounding areas such as Toronto that I don't know how much familiarity they have with sort of those requirements for a house. I think some of them are coming from condos and some of them are just coming from a spot where they weren't actually having to maintain a house previously. So I don't think the education component would be isolated to students. I think it would be sort of a ward-wide initiative. So I think as a counselor, my role would be to listen to sort of the concerns from both sides, provide a venue for discussion and interaction, and then provide suggestions for a resolution. I do like problem solving, so I think I could help come up with some creative solutions one required between the two groups with their input. I think any solution you come up with is going to have to have buy-in or it's just not going to be successful. And I think I'd also like to get to a point where there's like sort of a venue and event per neighborhood to encourage interaction between neighbors. And I don't just mean Ainsleywood and Westdale and that. I also mean Kirkendale and Strathcona. Um, I think we probably have some of those already in existence, but if we don't, then I think we need to sort of encourage them. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services? So I think the first one is making life cycle costing. And by life cycle costing, I mean maintenance, operating, and sort of the initial either purchase or construction cost of an asset or project 
being included in the city's purchasing policy. I think it leads to better decision-making if the decision being weighed is actually for the full cost of the assets and the infrastructure uh, rather than just that initial upfront cost. And the second one is better communication with residents on what levels of service they're actually expecting from the city and then what they're actually willing to pay for. So making that connection clear so people basically know what they should be getting and know what they're going to have to pay for that level. What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton? So I think it's back to implementing the complete streets, uh, including the Vision Zero sort of priority pieces. And then I also think as part of that, it's making sure sort of main artery sidewalks around McMaster and probably the BIAs and Strathcona and Kirkendale, Strathcona maybe to a lesser degree, get plowed, which I believe is done in Ancaster right now, and that just helps the safety aspect during the winter. And the second is working with staff to adjust how those medium density developments we talked about earlier are assessed and approved in infill neighborhoods, and that would help increase housing affordability through more units, so more availability for people to actually rent, and decrease taxes for those single-family homes. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked balloting enables voters to choose by prioritizing candidates, such as the top three, they feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots? It's relatively neutral, so I don't have a strong opinion either way. I do think one thing that happens right now with our council setup is it's not necessarily during the election stage, but after the election's over, I think a lot of weight gets given for ward individual decisions to the single councillor that's representing that ward. So I think there might be some possibility of coming up with some kind of method to get an advisory council set up so that at least if a decision is being made on a ward one issue, that avoids basically the advisory council opinion would also be sort of presented to council at the same time as the ward councillor's potential vote. And just it would give them a bit more context about whether or not the community is fully behind this decision. I think otherwise you run into a situation where councillor sort of preferences start leading ward decisions. And that can be a good thing if it is reflective of their constituents. But if it isn't, then you don't really have a voice coming from the other councillors always to sort of give the dissenting opinion. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? So I think the biggest thing is multi-channels of communication with my fellow Ward 1 residents. I think creating a supportive environment for interactions within the ward and within the neighborhoods within the ward and then within the actual neighbors within the ward and then between the ward and city hall is really important. I think working with the existing community groups to make sure that that interaction and communication is kept and their feelings are heard. And then working with fellow councillors and the mayor to sort of achieve and communicate citywide goals, not just to the ward one residents, but to the city residents. And I think it's going to be a continuous process of improvement. So it'll change over time. But the main goal is always to get better, not to backslide. How will the city of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision making in hiring a new city manager? And what qualities do you seek in a new city manager? So I think I'd be taking my cue mostly from the mission statement of the strategic plan, which is high-quality, cost-conscious public services that contribute to a healthy, safe, and prosperous community in a sustainable manner. And can they demonstrate, so the candidates for city manager, can they demonstrate this in past positions? I think the key quality that I want in that city manager is the ability to make tough decisions and stand up to counsel if they think we're about to make a poor decision. I don't really need somebody that's just going to agree with whatever we decide on. I think they need to present to us the pros and cons, and they need to be able to say, 
the decision you're about to make is flawed. That said, once we make that flawed decision, we need them to be able to execute it, but try and mitigate basically the damage that they foresee resulting from that decision. I also think they need to periodically ask the following three questions about staff and city services. And those questions are first, is this position service still relevant and required by the city? Second, is the position service located in the correct organizational area within the city, or is there unnecessary duplication because of its location in the organizational structure? And third, is this position service being financially supported correctly for the individuals or the service delivery to be successful? And if the answer is no to any of those questions, then the city manager has to be willing to make potentially hard decisions to change that to a yes. I also subscribe to the theory that bureaucracies are sort of a type of organism which tend to grow and consume extra resources unless they're kept in check. So the city manager really needs to be able to keep that organism in check. And the city, if they can't do that, then basically the city will be unable to meet its official plan mission statement. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so? So I think my approach is going to change depending on the situation. So a detailed outline of what I would do, I can't really give you at this time, but I can sort of tell you that my decisions would be reliance on three guiding principles. The first and highest priority would always be public and staff safety. The second would be increased inclusivity. So is the decision we're about to make going to make that service or that asset more accessible to more people? And third would be reach. So how many people are going to be positively impacted by this decision? or have a negative impact reduced. It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that is just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council? And what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole? So from my term, I'm hoping the three words would be productive, united, and persevered. And for council, I'm hoping for long-term decision makers. Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks you wish to share? Yes, I do. First off, I'd like to thank you, Joey, for being ambitious enough to try and interview all 155 of us in this election. I'd like to thank your listeners for tuning in. And if you're in Ward 1 and you managed to listen to all of us, I appreciate that. There's quite a few of us. For those in Ward 1, including those of you attending MAC, I really hope you will consider or just vote for me this October. And if you have any questions, please send them to my email. It's sanderson.ward1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. I'm a little slow at responding sometimes, but I do try and get back to everybody. Thank you. I want to thank the Dundas, well, as we know, I want to thank the Dundas branch of the Hamilton Public Library for the use of their makerspace where we recorded today's podcast. And just a side note for listeners, this is about episodes, this, this will be somewhere recording about 60. And I can tell you, it's really amusing for me to watch the kids that walk by behind the candidates and the kids are just having such a great time reading and they're mesmerized as they see two adults talking with microphones, what's going on. So again, I want to thank the Hamilton Public Library for the use of the space that's made the 155 possible. This has been Episode 70 of the Public Records, the 155 podcast. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.